Is it time to put respect on Bud Crawford's name? This man right here is with me, and we're going to discuss that on this special edition of The Corner Note. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to this special edition of The Cornerman, the super fight edition of The Cornerman. As you know, as we are recording this last night was the second biggest fight of the year. You could argue it was the biggest fight of the year, and that was Bud Crawford and Errol Spence. And boy, was it a fight. And so Cleve and I decided to record something about this little reaction. It's going to be a little shorter than our last episode. Supreme is not with us, but we are here to kind of break it down and just give all those boxing fans out there a little bit of our peace of mind. So Cleve, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Good, good. Hot. It's hot in the, uh, in the old, uh, I guess it's just the South. I guess you could say that. Yeah. Do people still say Mason-Dixon line? Is that is that proper to say these days? I don't even know. You want to know something? Being from Rhode Island, I was obviously from the North, and I heard about this famed Mason-Dixon line a lot. I heard more about it when I went to school at Virginia Tech, and I remember finding out that it was in Maryland. I was like, it's way further north than I ever thought. You just taught me something, because I'm thinking it was like the Carolinas somewhere. I mean, somebody who's listening, uh, by the way, you can call or text the show 703-718-6314 if you want to let us know that we're wrong. But I believe it is in Maryland somewhere. I was surprised to know that because you got to think about this, right? When this country was founded, it was a lot smaller. Yeah. So if you think about when the Civil War happened, mm-hmm. it wasn't nearly what it is today to where the Mason-Dixon line probably was a lot further south. I mean, wasn't the capital of Virginia or the capital of the south, wasn't it like Alexandria or Richmond or something like that? It was actually Richmond. That was the seat of the Confederacy. Exactly. So the Mason-Dixon line being in Maryland makes a lot of sense. Today, it doesn't because we go all the way down to basically Puerto Rico. So yeah. Maryland seems more north than that to me. And you know what's crazy? I just learned something about the history of Virginia. Not that we're going off on a tangent here. That how two Virginias became uh, known today as West Virginia North and uh, and Virginia. It's kind of a crazy thing about uh, them being taxed because of slavery and all of that kind of stuff. It was an interesting thing. I just I just learned about the history of Virginia. Was, I did not know that. Well, West Virginia can take a flyer as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I do not like that state. So let's move on to this big fight. So last time we were here, we are an entity of the INC Sports Paradigm, as everybody knows by now. And we had a great talk about where boxing is today, kind of how we got into this place. And one of the fights that Supreme talked about that he wanted to see was this fight. Now, we knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it has come and gone. And I'm just going to say a few things. I want to say for all of the viewers and listeners, I have not watched this fight. So if you're going to come at me with, tell me you didn't watch the fight without telling me you didn't watch the fight. I didn't watch the fight yet, but I have seen some highlights and I do have opinions about the business of how we got here. And also just in general, some opinions about how we feel about the, the outcome of the fight. But I think coming in, you are one of the people who has been a detractor of Bud Crawford. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. And I did have to eat some crow and I will give the man his flowers this on this episode. And I think that it's fair. I opened up with should we be giving him his due? And I think a lot of people, you're not the only one. Supreme talked about it as well. And if you go online, a lot of people calling Bud Crawford a bum, basically, because of who he hasn't fought. Correct. One of the things we talked about last time, though, was how we got to this place where we're not getting these fights how the promoters are not giving us the biggest fights. And this fight in particular, I think, was probably four years too late. I could say that. I mean, some of the some of the people that, um, and this is pre, um, I'm sorry, post 
uh, Errol Spence's car accident. If if uh, who who whoever didn't know about this, he had a horrific car accident uh, drinking and driving a few years ago, and he's had two fights since the accident. Kind of looked the same, but kind of something is you know has been a little bit different. But again, no excuses are made on behalf of this fighter. I mean, he this is the business that he traffics in, and it is what it is. If you're not prepared, you're not prepared. I don't kind of give you a pass for that. Yeah, this fight had this happened a couple of years ago, different. And again, I have, uh, as you alluded to, I have kind of questioned the opponents of Crawford and I question his promoter. I'm not a big fan of Bob Arum, uh, never will be. And I just feel that he kept him away from a lot of big fights. But I'm glad it came when it came because it, it does give him an, you know, an idea of what this, his future could look like with uh, all of these belts. He's the alphabet soup champion right now. What sucks about what you just alluded to is the fact that a great fighter a very skilled fighter, a guy who you talked about this offline with me, has decided when he's going to take guys out in a fight. Yeah. And that you saw on display in this fight, especially at the end. Mm -hmm. And what surprised me the most was how unprepared Errol Spence looked for this moment. And I'm not saying it's just this moment, but I think just in general, you were expecting him to come into this fight ready to go because I think to date this was probably the most important fight that he's had to be able to I think unify that division is that correct yeah and when you have the opportunity to do that it's a big deal nowadays because there are so many champions in all of these divisions to be able to clean house in a division really reign supreme no pun intended rich that's a big deal and to come in looking the way that he did and get beaten as soundly as he did is embarrassing for him, his camp, and his promoter. And Bud Crawford has to feel on top of the world right now because all of those doubters and haters, they can't say anything to him anymore. Mm -hmm. So to echo what you're kind of what you're kind of uh, sounding off on, and when we talk about preparation, we're talking about you know having the time uh, afforded to to train for a fight. So who am I sitting as a as a couch commentator on on how prepared a guy could be, but is prepared how should how should they be prepared for a fight this is a big fight this is a unification fight and those fights are a little bit different um i had uh, i talked to supreme today offline and one of the things that i echoed and this comes from the conor mcgregor fight with with mayweather is that boxing is like nascar in a sense where you look for the crash the big knockout the big the big victory i Myself, I love the technical aspect of fights. I love seeing a guy getting broken down. I love the work that is put in in camps that that manifests itself in the final product. But the thing is, is that when someone stops a fight, when when you're when you're losing by a stoppage, it's a little different from getting knocked out, right? You get knocked out, you don't make the ten count, it's over. But when someone has to pull another guy off of you because you're getting just pounded, uh, it says a lot about you know how prepared you were because uh he looked more and more gassed as the fight went on um i i didn't watch the last round um i saw the last round as a highlight uh, of the of the final you know coup de grace so to speak but he didn't look prepared to me he looked he looked kind of flat if uh if if i may put that in there and i think that's a fair criticism and it's really just an observation and you have had, or you had a come to Jesus moment with this with Kel Brook, if I remember. Mm -hmm. And I want to say it was when he fought Triple G. Triple G, yeah. And he had a broken orbital bone. Yeah. And I believe he didn't quit on the bench, but I think the fight was stopped. And I think you were very harsh about him oh, yeah. at that time. And then you found out what he went through. I think, didn't he break both orbital bones at one point in his career? Uh, yeah, the second. So kind of going back on that, and, and I did I did recant my statements. Even online at the time, I was in a boxing forum and I was spouting a lot of stupid stuff. 
Um, and then I had to realize when I watched the fight again from a different angle and I saw his actual bone sticking out of his cheek, I realized, okay, who am I to say a guy's soft or a guy can't withstand his punishment or why did he give up? Um, he ended up getting the other orbital bone crushed in a, in a subsequent fight. Um, and then ultimately, like, he kind of just been obscure since then. But, yeah, it's I had to re retract and redact my statements. I thought that was important to bring up because what you're saying here about Errol Spence and his lack of preparation or seemingly lack of preparation, you have had those same criticisms of Andy Ruiz when he had the heavyweight title, which on top of the world and didn't take it seriously. And we don't know. We're not going to cast excursions on what happened with Errol Spence. But Supreme made some observations about the way that he looked coming into this fight. It's very surprising because Errol Spence is a guy, and yes, he hasn't been exactly the same as before the accident, a sharp fighter. Always came in looking sharp at every fight. I mean, he's fought some good guys, too. Like, he took out Danny Garcia, who's a good fighter, a really good fighter. So to note this, and um, Supreme and I talk about this offline again, when Errol gets a, since, since post-accident, when he gets into a, a, a good combination thrown at him, he tends to turn away. And he, it happened in the Ugas fight, and it happened against um, Garcia, where he got caught and he turned, he literally turned his back and he had like a momentary lapse. I don't know if that's a con concentration thing or if that's neurological since the accident. But again, I'm not in his head. I'm not his doctor. I'm not his neurologist to know that this is to be true. But I know watching a, a fighter make those type of mental lapses against another good fighter, it's not a good situation to be in, especially in a big, big fight, unification fight. And against a guy who you know is a stone cold killer. Yeah, we, we talked about Crawford being a uh, sadist, uh, so to speak. And again, this is my opinion of it because uh, in the Jeff Horn fight, uh, he had the guy pretty much dead to rights. And then he was told, hey, let's let's wrap this up. And I was like, wow. Like, and he goes out and just closes the show. And I, I think that watching this fight, he could have ended this fight a lot earlier, but I think there was something, a statement had to be made. I think he was sending a statement to the the whole division and he was sending a statement to, to uh, Spencer's camp that I got your guy beat. He actually even said in the second round, he said he caught a, a good shot and he literally said, wait a minute, that's it? Is that, that that's all the power he has? Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be good. He actually said that, which again, makes me believe that this guy traffics in the punishment department. Like I'm going to, I'm going to punish this guy. Now, last time we spoke, we talked about Tank and Ryan Garcia and the hydration clause. There's none of that kind of thing with this fight. This was pretty straight up, I believe. There wasn't anything that you could go back and say, oh, I question that. And maybe that took away some of Spence's power. From what I understand in the business of all of this, this was a straight up one-to-one -one matchup here. There wasn't anything crazy about it. No weird weigh-in clauses, hydration clauses, anything. And they came in theoretically on equal footing. And for a guy to not have power, I'm curious what happened there, and I wonder if we will find out more. But what I don't want to happen is for people to take away what Bud Crawford did in this fight. Because I'm sorry, prepared or not, you're stepping in the ring with the same risks and everything. Because Errol Spence could have caught him with one and at the fight. Because you talked about a knockout. Knockouts can happen all the time. Manny Pacquiao got knocked out a few times in his career. Still considered one of the best because of the body of work of what he had. And so for Crawford to go in there and say that, and be like, that's all that the guy has. He knew he was in control from that moment on. And that's what makes him such a special guy because very rarely do you watch a guy do that. Where you have been watching boxing for 40 some odd years. Yeah. And there's probably only a handful of guys that you can say, I knew when they knew they were in control. Yeah. And to do that in the biggest fight of his career says something. And Bud is on the 
later end of what is considered to be young for a fighter. Isn't he 32 or 33? And that was always my problem with, with his promotion is that as a fighter, skilled fighter, I just, th- I just always thought he never got the, the exposure that he should have gotten and the fights that he should have gotten. I mean, he caught Gamboa late. I mean, he, that was a statement win against Gamboa, but Gamboa is, was a fighter that well, was infrequent as a fighter. He never really fought a lot. But um, but could have had these fights a lot early in his career, and I'm kind of glad to see that he is the unified champion. He has all the belts that actually matters, and he can call his plate now. He's gonna have to take these contenders, whether Aram doesn't want those fights to happen or not. He's gonna have to take these, unless you know he wants to be stripped of his title. Do you think he was ducking guys, or do you think it has more to do with money on Bob Aram's part? Like, if it were up to Bud Crawford, do you think he's like, all right, line him up right I now? I think for fighters. You're in the game for two reasons. Obviously, um, you know, I mean, we would be hard-pressed to say that a guy doesn't want to get paid for a dangerous sport, a dangerous existence. But also, you want to you want to have that resume. You want to, at least from my my lens, you want to have that resume of who you beat. Uh, again, Supreme and I, I'm, I'm sorry he's not here today, but we talked about uh, Shakur Stevenson, right? Taking taking the high road of not accepting what Devin Haney wanted to offer him because Devin Haney now is fighting some guy that Supreme says, good, I have to go look the guy up. Uh, and that's happening in October. But if you're really about that action, I'll take the 25%. Go in there and beat you down. And when you want the rematch, now I hold the cards. Now I hold the belts. Now I can say, you know what, you offered me 25%. You're going to take that t- same 25% or take nothing. So you just said rematch. Do you foresee a rematch in this particular avenue? Or do you think it's a Bud Crawford is going to say, I beat you so soundly, you don't deserve yeah, it? Yeah, unless something comes out dramatic about maybe he got hurt in camp or maybe he wasn't 100% or something. There's no need for a rematch. I mean, I didn't see enough there that would warrant a rematch. Rematches usually happen when the fight was so close. It went to the cards and one guy felt slighted. But this was a sound beating that a rematch would only be for them to really kind of get a bag. I mean, I that's how I see that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Errol Spence coming into this fight could have really cemented himself in having the bag you talked about. Like he could have decided to move up or do whatever he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And now he's in that precarious position that fighters find them in after a loss. And this is almost done for him. Yeah. One one or two losses, as you know, in this in 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 watching um what happens now in boxing, because boxing is not really promoted the way the UFC is. And by the way, the UFC had a, a a fight night the same night as his fight and was not worried about doing their numbers. Nope. They were not worried because, as Supreme says, they do a, a, an event every month. They got a major fight every month. So they're, they've cornered the market, so to speak, on on fight combat sports. They they have got it in, in the bag. But, yeah, going back to what you said, you get one or two, you know, losses, that's nobody wants to see you again. And one of the things that um I... I agree with Supreme about this morning as we talked. Uh, he said that the undercard could have been a little bit more uh, to it. It was okay fights. And again, I'm not shitting on anyone's, um, you know, uh, camp for taking a fight or whatever. You know, it's, it's exposure is exposure. But he said that having a fight, and he reminded me of fights back in the, in the 80s and 90s where your undercard could have been top billing for any one of those headliners. Like, they, you know, Roy Jones was on a Mike Tyson undercard back in the day. I forgot about that. Roy Jones at the top of his career or or, or, or in the middle of his prime was opening up for Mike Tyson, you know? So you wanted to get these guys exposure, have, a, have all these fights on the same night as, as this main event. Couldn't you make the argument that these fights, these super fights, happen so infrequently 
that they should have the best possible undercard that they could possibly get. Like, guys should be lining up to be on this undercard because they don't happen very often. And this that's not any way of throwing shade at the fights that do happen. I, boxing fights do happen on a weekly basis. I believe Friday night you can still find fights that are on, what, FS1 or something like that. But these are the young and hungry guys who are coming up in the sport who are looking to make their name. But these big pay-per-view fights, even when we first met seven years ago, there were more pay-per-view fights then than there are now. I mean, this fight on pay-per-view is one of what feels like is going to be four, maybe this year. Most of the fights are on ESPN+, Plus, which you can get for $5 a month. I mean, you couldn't have said any better. I mean, look at look at the last five years, or let's call it three years since the pandemic. The, um, the, major, the major draws have in boxing have been gimmicky YouTuber stuff. You know, and I'm not I'm not going to say anyone's name to give them any any more props than they need to to get. But it's getting to the point. It's so ridiculous now that Pacquiao is going to fight. Um, uh, what's the guy, the, the famous kickboxer in Thailand? Uh, yeah, it's actually. Yeah. Who, who does care? But this is what's an eight division champion who has nothing to prove, who has made or has should have made enough money to last him his lifetime um, is fighting a guy. Like, for what? I think it's Bukau. Yeah, Bukau. He's fighting Bukau. And I don't understand why this is happening or if he's fighting for the Philippines to have money. I don't know what it is because he's one of those fighters like like Roberto Duran, who's who's about God and country. You know, some of these athletes, they, they get taken advantage of because, again, they're they're so hard-pressed for for saving the nation that they're, they'll take fights. I mean, there's no reason for him to take a fight with a kickboxer. For what? You just said something that really triggered me because we're in this place in this era now. You talk about YouTubers and content creators. Okay, clout chasers. That's what we got called. We were accused of being clout chasers. But we also, we train for this sport. We love the sport. But we also understand the risks that come along with this sport. One of the things that really bothers me, and you send me the barstool guys all the time or the back, the back street fighting, and I say this to you every time, <laughs> that this is the lowest common denominator, not just of the sport, but almost in society. And again, I'm not saying I'm better than everybody else or anything like that, but this is a dangerous sport, folks. And if you're somebody who does YouTube and all of a sudden you want to use boxing as a way to get even more clout, you're going to run into the wrong person at some point in time. And it could be the difference between you having your mental faculties and your physical abilities than you not having them. Yeah. This is not the kind of sport that you use to get some self-recognition. But I have to give the Paul brothers credit. They at least train and do things the right way Correct. Yeah. to participate in the sport. But I'm not here for these backyard guys. <laughs> I am not here for these. They have a whole ca a card of people who are like content creators or influencers. And I'm like, look, go shill your product somewhere on social media. Mm -hmm. Do it safely from the comfort of your own home. Mm -hmm. I don't need to see you out there. I don't need to see the guy from Epic Mealtime get his ass handed to him <laughs> and be thankful that he's not hurt even more. Yeah, I mean, anyone out there who... Uh, who doesn't go to a um, a boxing gym to not even a boxing gym that go to any one of these type of gyms that promote boxing as a conditioning workout. It's different from actually going to a boxing gym, doing some pad work or doing some boxing, actually uh, similar to sparring. It, it is dangerous. You can you can just be playing around and take a header, take a take a shot. And that's it. Neurologically. That's it. You don't see. I had a tooth knocked out doing uh, pad work with a guy uh, a couple of years ago at the gym. Like I'm holding pads and this guy's undisciplined. 
I didn't. I looked away for a split second and gave him a command to throw a punch. And next thing you know, I'm whistling Dixie. <laughs> but this bothers me so much because the millions of dollars that are getting thrown around for these guys and these undercards, right? But this is the best the sport can give us. Yeah. That's sad, man. It's really sad when your sport is in a place where UFC doesn't even consider you a competitor. Don't even care. Like Dana White lost zero winks of sleep knowing that he had a, a fight card on top of the boxing super fight of the year. And I guarantee you the UFC still drew better than boxing that I night. mean, you're talking like throwing the Grey Cup on when the Super Bowl is happening. Like that's like that's the equivalent of what happened where they did not care because as Supreme says, they started their prelims started at 12 o'clock in the, in the in the afternoon and ran to the main event, which is like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So you got a card of fights, knockouts, whatever you, you know, whatever you're there to see. And here's the thing that that bothers me, man. Like boxing has been around for so long, right? I mean, you're talking mega fights in the 50s, 60s, 40s, even the 30s, and they still can't get the marketing right. There's a handful of guys that get picked as being the golden, uh, you know, the golden crop of the sport, but the marketing is 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 not good. And again, people love people love fight sports. Like, you know, not not everyone, but people love to see adversity people love to see the champion hear the stories and all that kind of good stuff i mean sports is sports sporting is they're keeping score or you know someone has to be the better but again you got a golden goose in front of you and you're not you're not taking advantage of it i mean i am i'm a big fan i know that, that you don't like some of the i sent you some of the parody stuff because i know it gets you triggered and i kind of love that for the comments but i've been watching the bare knuckle fighting league and i watched them over the two years or so evolve into an actual sport they started out being like a tough man competition they go from state to state town to town kind of just drawing in talent but now they've actually marketed it into a sport where they have uh promotions and they have uh, uh top-notch safety there they have ambulances on site so a lot of the other backyard stuff i rarely see any kind of medical attention ready if a guy gets cleaned up that they're going to get the medical attention. I went to a fight a couple of years ago where a guy died, not in the ring, but he died of his injuries after. And I, it made me realize how dangerous this thing is to watch. I watched this guy get beat to death, right? Enjoyed every minute of watching it, sadly to say, but I, I watched that and I said, wow, that's, that's, a, that's what I watch. And he passed away. I felt bad. I even put something online about it. And then I went on the next week to watch another fight. Like it was nothing. You said something in there that, made me realize that this is why boxing is where it is. You said they have a golden goose in front of them and they're not willing to take advantage of it. But yet on the biggest fight card of the year, the champion who had a chance to unify had the same thing, the same golden goose in front of them and came out looking like that. So how is the sport in general supposed to market themselves as this big entity when these guys seemingly don't take it serious? And I am not saying that Errol Spence didn't take the fight seriously, but from a casual fan perspective, who's who we are trying to get to the yard with this show, how are they supposed to market to those guys when it when you get that look? Every one of those UFC guys goes in there, they are ready to go. And that's a rough sport, and they know what's coming. And even if they lose, all those guys lose graciously, I feel like, too. I mean, just to give you a feel-good story, and anyone that, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a casual pedestrian, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to UFC. I was big into it when Rampage and Chuck Liddell and those guys were in it and watching Pride fights. But now I hardly watch the UFC. Um, if, I, if I'm like channel surfing, I might catch something on, on whatever or watch something. But I, I, don't, I don't watch the sport. 
technically. And I don't watch the women version of it because I just can't watch women tear each other up like that. But the thing that the thing that's kind of crazy to me is that there was a guy that fought uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was I came across him. Uh, I was watching something on TikTok, and The Rock had visited this guy. He was giving like an interview, or whatever. Rock comes up. Uh, taps him on the shoulder. He sees that it's The Rock and he, you know, he has a moment and he's, you know, but I was like, who is this guy? So then I read the caption and it, it talked about that he had seven bucks in his pocket. The Rock has a similar story about being that broke. And then I have to go look this guy up and I'm like, wow, like you can't, you can't simulate that hunger for a guy who was on top and then a guy who was literally like, you're my meal ticket. You're my way out of this situation. You're my... I'm going to go into a gym floor tonight. If I lose, I'm going to sleep on the gym floor tonight and I'm going to make enough money. The guy sold his gear from a previous fight for $7,000 just to, just to make ends meet. So when you got those type of storylines and those type of things going, I mean, you, you want to see a guy win. You want to see a guy prepared. You want to see a guy go out there. And again, I'm not, like you said, I'm not casting expressions on Errol Spence about not being prepared. Cause I don't know what his camp looked like. I, I wasn't there, but what I'm saying is that big moment, you got to be ready. You know, uh, Usain Bolt always says, I trained four years for nine seconds. I mean, if you don't understand what kind of preparation that means, I trained four years to run nine seconds. It's crazy. And think about what goes into those nine seconds, right? It's not just running. It's everything. Prep, everything. there. You know, yeah, but, but I'm talking about what he has to do to be good at nine seconds. Weights, your nutrition, everything. So like a fight camp, is what, three months? Yeah, about three months, yeah, average. So for three months, you are training to be in the best particular position that you could be, the best shape that you could be, and that's the way that you come out. And it is what it is, man. I mean, we can't make these fighters want it more, but I will say this, I think Bud Crawford wanted it more. I think that he took the narrative about him personally, and he's the wrong guy to be feeding locker room material, whiteboard material to, because I think he, what did, what did Michael Jordan say? And I took that personally, <laughs> and... But but strikes me as the same kind of guy. Yeah, it, it's it's um it's something to be said about that. Like I, I always uh I think Kurt Warner said this uh in a, in a documentary once about him. He's you know he, he great story by the way for Kurt Warner, one of my favorite story guys in the NFL. Um, but he said that you can't measure how much a guy wants something. You can measure all you can measure everything in the NFL or anything in any sport, being the height, the weight, how fast you are, how strong you are. But if you don't have the desire to go out there and do it, it's crazy. And, you know, you got some guys, um, I think it was Ali fight when he fought Fraser the second time. And he literally said, the neck, if this goes one more round, I'm going to die. Like he, he, he put his hands on Angelo Dundee and was like, I am going to die. Like this is, this is just bad. And I, you can't, me you can't simulate, you can't teach a guy that. You can't teach someone that. You got to have that innate killer in you to say, okay, I'm going to go out on my shield here. And again, I'm not there to see somebody get hurt. And I think it, um, the stoppage was warranted from what I saw. But I, I think that it could have ended a lot earlier. But I think Crawford wanted to send a message to the division and to, to Spence personally, like, I got you. Message sent, message received, and Bud Crawford is the unified champion now. So hopefully you all enjoyed that fight. But uh, Cleve, last time we did a little segment about an obscure boxer. And you want to call it Let's Weigh In. And you know what was great about it? Shout out to Terrible Tim Witherspoon. He found that particular clip, gave us a little bit of a shout out, and that was pretty neat. So, Tim, we hope you're doing well, champ. And uh, we'd love to have you on the show anytime that you'd like. But, Cleve, Let's Weigh In, 
new segment I want to hear and the listeners and viewers want to hear about your obscure fighter of this episode. Take it away. All right. So my obscure fighter and I, uh, again, I'm going back to when I was a a little kid, I was about seven or eight years old when this fight happened. Um, Alexis Aguayo versus Aaron Pryor, who's, who's nicknamed the Hawk. Um, His record is unbelievable for, for that time frame in the eighties because everyone was a killer in my eyes, but total 40 fights, 39 wins, 35 by knockout, one loss. This guy, you got to look him up on YouTube. Um, Amazing fighter. And look up the fight against Alexis Aguela, who was a great fighter in his own right at the time. This is one of the one of the best fights you'll see. It was gritty. It had all the uh, ebbs and flows of, of someone getting, you know, almost taken out and then uh, ultimately just going, you know, just into chaotic, chaotic uh, beauty. Uh, beautiful chaos and what my dad called it back then this is beautiful chaos and I'm like I'm 8 years old I'm like what does that mean it just sounds cool but it's a beautiful word beautiful chaos is, is, is what I saw but that's my obscure guy um, Aaron Pryor um, great fighter even on fight night I've used him a couple of times and I fought against him and it, they got it right this guy was an absolute dog so how does a guy like that not become more well-known in boxing history to people other than yourself who's been watching the sport for so long? I think one of the things is marketing. Because, um, again, uh, in the 80s, obviously, there was no internet. Uh, uh, you've heard me allude this, to this time and time again. Um, I was one of those kids when people were collecting comics, I was reading Ring Magazine. Uh, Ring Magazine, and and I always would open it and look for, their, for the rankings. And it, it was a page, I think it was like page 14 or 15, I mean, it looked like fine print, like it could be, it, like it could have been biblical writing. But it was every person in the world at the time ranked. You know, you got your f- number one contender, champion, and at that time, and I tell, I tell this to people all the time, there was one linear champion. There was no, this guy has a WBA, this guy has a WBC. There was because at some point there was a rubber match or something that unified these titles and all the alphabet titles were held by one person. When Mike Tyson was the unified champion, that was the time you saw a guy walking in, three straps on, and four walking in behind him. And you're like, wait a minute, like how many belts? Everyone that had a belt, he had your belt. He had your belt. And uh, sadly enough, after, I think after Holyfield and and and, um, and Riddick and um, Lennox Lewis, there was a time when there was seven, I think six or seven heavyweight champions and none of them were American. That I I was like, wow, we have seven world champion heavyweight fighters and none of them are American at that at that moment because the Klitschkos had uh, between the two of them. They had uh, three of the belts and they because they're brothers, they said they would never fight each other. So those those belts were never going to be unified by them, which I understand. That's your brother. Yeah. But talk about a great marketing opportunity. Oh, my God. Super six. Super six. There's many opportunities there to being missed, but go ahead and look up that fighter because Cleve does have a lot of this knowledge and it's always worth my time whenever you tell me to go look up a fight or a fighter or whatever. Uh, is this the guy, the Hawk? Is he the guy with that video when he knocked the guy out and he puts oh, his no, arms out? Oh, no, that was, so he was, the, I was going to, I'm glad you said that. So the original, the original Hawk was Aaron Pryor, but Julian Jackson, that's one of my, that's, he was the Mike Tyson of the, of the, of the smaller weights. He was, he had a hammer. Uh, the guy was, amazing the guy was strong in both hands and he he he's one of those guys that he had a big ego and um and that was it uh before we go i want to talk about something that um you and i talked about offline and it's about these these the judging 
the judging is always coming out to be so, so stupid. So there was a fight a couple weeks, well, a week ago with Cambosis. What Did you see that fight? I haven't seen that fight. Now. Okay, so I'm going to kind of just give my take and then we'll talk about it offline um, about it. But basically, you're watching someone get beaten up, punished, and they're they're holding their own, but they're they're literally they're literally losing rounds in front of you. And then when it goes to the cards, one of these judges has this fight so different. I'm like, wait a minute, he's sitting he's sitting there with three two other judges. How do you get this number? How do you get this number? Where what rounds did you give this other fighter? And the guy literally was one of those things where when they announced the um when they announced it, Cambosis didn't look like, well, I I thought I won. He took the victory because it they called his name but the other guy literally like you could see the dejection in his in his face even when they interviewed him he was like wow i'm glad he didn't leave the ring that was the classiest thing he he went to go walk out and on his own with, with no one tapping him he turned around walked back in walked up to camp and hugged him and says hey man great fight and i said wow that he's better than me because i would have had sour grapes for breakfast lunch and dinner for the rest of the month um shakur stevenson gotten got into the to the apron and they confronted Cambosis and said, Hey, I, you know, I want to fight you. And they kept deflecting it to him fighting Haney. He said, I want to take, I'm not taking 25% to fight Haney. I want to fight one of you guys because again, I'm, I'm a hunting down guys. And it was a very interesting exchange. It's online. It's actually pretty funny, but Shakur is one of those guys that he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. People are kind of bagging on him that he's too arrogant and too brash he's in the business to be that he wants he wants to be a world a recognized world champion and this i gotta go through i gotta go through to get it but they gotta do something about this judging they gotta i mean timothy bradley of all people mentioned uh and tim is a great guy I've, i met tim at the um at the national harbor out here and he said something about it where i was like well you were handed the victory that i thought was questionable at the time but again that's me but they got something about this judging, but as you saw last night, no judges could tell you that that fight was going to go in one fighter's way or not. It, it was clearly a dog walking, and it was a beatdown. Without getting too much into this, because I think we should save it for the next time when we have Supreme on here. We did talk about it last time, but boxing judging to me is akin to what people say about baseball umpires and how... They want robot umpires in there to do balls and strikes and so forth. And the subjective nature of the judging and of being an umpire, there's something that lends itself to the sport that we all like. If we made it automated, people wouldn't like that. However, the lack of accountability, I think, is what really bothers people when it comes to these types of things. So if you're a boxing judge, you can essentially judge the fight however you would like. And the only accountability that you have is to the court of public opinion. And who cares about that? Because it doesn't have anything to do with your paycheck, has nothing to do with your job. And until they kind of fix that and the way that I propose that they fixed it, which got a lot of play on YouTube last week, was that we have a mid-fight interview with some of these judges. I think that's great. Just a minute to hear about what they're seeing in this fight, especially a fight that at, to that point seems it's going to go the distance. You get a knockout, you get a stoppage. Who cares what the judges think? We have a definitive decision. But when it goes to the cards, we need to see that. The other thing that I would like to see is we always shove a mic in the athlete's face after a tough game or after even a win. We never, ever shove the microphones in front of the refs, in front of the judges, what have you. And I think that that accountability or lack thereof is what makes people hesitant about the judging and get out with these conspiracy theories about what happens and how the sport is rigged. And you hear this in a lot of sports. You hear it about the NFL. You hear it about the NBA. It's not just boxing. And so I think that is a good teaser for next week. 
But listen, how did you think that the fight went? Were you a Crawford guy or are you a Spence guy? Don't forget, call or text the show. Area code 703-718-6314 is the number to do that. We are part of INC Sports. You can find us on YouTube. Make sure to like and subscribe. It's not mandatory. It is very, very helpful, though. If you want to find us on TikTok, at INC Sports is the handle to do that. We get a lot of play on there. We have a little bit of fun. I like to post some clips there so you can find us there. We're part of the Maddie Ice Media Network. Right now, the website is under construction, but MaddieIceMedia.com is the place that you can find this entity of INC Sports. You can find this guy on the manual and political football. Cleve, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah, um, I know we talked about the landscape of, of boxing, and uh, there, was a, there was another fight that happened on Tuesday, or Tuesday morning to be exact, where everyone's at work or everyone's sleeping. It happened in Japan with Inoki, who is a beast absolute monster and i think his nickname is monster but the guy that fought him had to travel to japan to fight him and he he questioned about the hand wraps over there and, and the regulation of that um they had their hands wrapped in front of him which made him you know more easy to go in but there's no regulation of even steroid use or anything like that this guy started out at a very small weight i think 108 or 109 and now he's he's moving up and he wants to fight tank at some point which would be great but how the little guys carry this power up. So uh, boxing is doing everything it, it can to be relevant and stay relevant. But again, only hardcore people that like the sport are checking in. And only on these mega fights, you get a casual fan for a couple of weeks and then they go off and never think about the sport again until the next big fight. Yep. And hopefully that is not the case with this podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week and supporting this show, supporting INC, supporting the network. I hope this finds you well. hope this finds you safe from me and from Cleve. This is The Cornerman. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.